welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Mali Ponpadit, and I'm delighted to share our guest for today. His name is Sudhir Shukla, and he is a volunteer outreach specialist with Biodiversity for a Livable Climate. Um, BLC is what they're known for, and they promote natural biological practices that draw carbon from the atmosphere into soil to address and eventually reverse climate change. These practices consist of restoring and enhancing biodiversity of soil and other ecosystems through regenerative agriculture and eco-restoration. Sudhir is also involved with Citizens Climate Lobby, which is a lobbying which is lobbying Congress right now for a revenue, revenue neutral price on carbon. Sudhir has a master's in mathematics and currently teaches math at C2 Education in Herndon, Virginia, and has previously taught math in Northern Virginia Community College in Annandale, Virginia. Welcome so much to our podcast. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks, Molly. Great to be on. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, before we go into the meat of um, this industry, I really would love to know how you got involved. Like, when did you get involved and why did you get involved? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you know, the break after the first, my first semester teaching, uh, I was kind of uh, working on things around the house, uh, some, you know, cleaning and and taking care of things I, I hadn't gotten to in a while. And uh, it kind of led to my, you know, I, I kind of extrapolated from that. Well, what can I, you know, once that was done, what can I clean, you know, in the uh, community, around, in in the environment around me? Uh, and so that kind of led to me thinking about uh, the environment, uh, uh, yeah, clean energy, uh, starting to explore solar panels for our house um, and getting involved with environmental organizations and, and you know, working on climate change, uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, connecting with with different organizations. Uh, initially, um, uh, uh, for example, um, I was working with uh, one called Climate Change Elementary uh, that did presentations in elementary schools, and then uh, Citizens Climate Lobby, as you mentioned, that uh, is is working on a revenue neutral uh, price on carbon in Congress. Uh, and then eventually I went to, I heard about a, a conference put together by Biodiversity for a Livable Climate um, in November of 2014 called Reversing or Restoring Ecosystems to Reverse Global Warming. And that was the first time I'd heard of uh, the potential of soil to be a climate solution. And that was really interesting to me. And I went there, it was a great conference. And that uh, started me working in that direction uh, and with that organization. So how did you how did you actually get involved? I mean, you researched and you found them. You went to the conference and you really felt connected to their mission. Um, but what was the next step? I mean, how did you move from just being a researcher, being an interested citizen, into actively volunteering and being involved as their outreach specialist? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had been kind of uh, involved with other organizations, so I had been volunteering um, with organizations for some time. So it was kind of, I guess, natural for me to, you know, once I found that that this was something that I felt needed to be done to to kind of get involved um, in an in an active way. Yeah, I, I think it was just the, I mean, this kind of filling a void kind of, you know, uh, you know, the emission side of climate change is extremely important. Reducing emissions uh, to address, to to kind of reduce our what we're putting into the atmosphere, but but uh, roughly, you know, equally important is is finding a way to take the excess carbon in the atmosphere and put it in a in soils where it can actually have uh, other benefits, uh, you know, in terms of soil fertility, water infiltration, reduction in erosion, um, uh, and and actually um, food security as well. Now let's go deeper into that because again, you know, how can soil be a solution? You touched upon it just with those bullet points there, but how can soil be a solution to climate change and how does soil absorb that carbon from the atmosphere? What is, what does that look like from a scientific and process level? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not, it's uh, it's actually through photosynthesis. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, some complicated, uh, you know, you might've heard of, uh, you know, uh, carbon capture and storage. It's nothing, you know, so complicated as that. It's it's just photosynthesis is, you know, quote unquote technology that's been with us uh, for at least uh, 500 million years. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's it's a very old, uh, you know, technology, so to speak. Um, uh, you know, we a lot of us learned about it in, in elementary school, or, or hopefully you know, all of us. Um, and so it's been around, but I guess we haven't kind of looked at it. Uh, you know the details about the interaction between plants and um, the soil, uh, and specifically microbes in the soil. Um, and that I guess a lot of people don't uh, aren't aware of that interaction. And I, I wasn't myself, you know, before I was uh, went to this conference in, in 2014. So uh, whenever you have plants growing in soil, uh, as much as uh, 20 to 40 percent of the carbon they take in through photosynthesis. They send into the soil uh, to feed soil microbes uh, like bacteria, fungi, and, and protozoa, etc. And these microbes, in turn, make nutrients available to the plant roots. Uh, like, for example, there are certain nitrogen-fixing bacteria, um, and uh, you know there are certain uh, mycorrhizal fungi that can um, uh, get phosphorus uh, and extract it from from uh, Play, uh, sources that are not that are not automatically accessible to, to plants. So there's a symbiotic relationship going there, and uh, so there's, you, I mean, it's kind of like a you can think of it as a carbon trading system. Uh, so plants send in carbon in the form of uh, sugars and carbohydrates and enzymes to feed these soil microbes, and then they get they get nutrients in re- in return. And once that carbon is sent. It uh, you know goes through uh, various processes. You know you have um, organisms eating other organisms, and it, it uh, um, you know goes through various transformations. And eventually, uh, a good portion of it is uh, transformed into a stable form of carbon, uh, and, and create um, creates uh, humus, um, which is you know a stable form of carbon. 
and so you have you have carbon sequestration there in in a fairly stable form. Um, so so basically, so the more plant activity you can have, the more photosynthesis you can have uh, throughout the year, uh, uh, the more uh, carbon sequestration you're going to get uh, overall. Wow. Now, can you give specific practices that are taking place today that increase the amount of carbon the soil can absorb? I mean, what can actually foster and help that, um, you know, to a level where it's even more, I would say, a process or, or functional? What are some of the practices and new technologies or, or ways in which people are wanting to do that in your field and in the, this industry? Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, the practices are related to agriculture. So uh, they go under the, the heading um, regenerative agriculture. Okay. So this is, this is agriculture that uh, uh, regenerates soil and, and adds soil carbon, uh, adds carbon and organic matter to the soil. So uh, one uh, major uh, practice on, on cropland is, is uh, the use of cover crops. Uh, and so this, this again, um, is is not you know new it's not a new idea it's not a new concept uh you know we've been well you know the romans were using cover crops probably and you know, perhaps even goes back to the beginning of agriculture you know 10,000 years ago so it's not a new idea um but but so basically cover crops are crops that you grow not to be harvested and sold mm-hmm. but you grow them in the uh in a non-traditional harvesting period, so usually after your your main harvest in the fall, you, you plant or, or around in the fall you plant your cover crops, and you let them grow and um, uh, throughout the, uh, the late fall and then uh, through the winter, and then you uh, mow them over or ideally uh, to create a kind of a green manure uh, covering for your soil. Uh, into which you um, you would uh, um, plant your your seeds in the fall. So I mean that's that's probably the, the ideal way of doing it. Uh, other sometimes otherwise, um, I guess the more common ways of doing of uh, addressing or kind of killing the cover crop is to use uh, either tillage, so kind of tilling away the old cover crop, and or using an herbicide to get rid of the cover crop and then plant your your har- harvest crop, your so-called cash crop, in in the spring. Now, how do, how how does an organization um, like the one you're involved with, or the ones you're involved with, how do you reach uh, people in the agricultural industry, and what's the process? Because that's such a big initiative, and there's a lot of education that must ha- happen. I would imagine. Um, what are some of the things that you, that you're doing, um, and how do you get that huge industry interested, involved, and really uh, care about this? You know, because that's a big part of um, making sure that we have clean, sustainable environments. Yeah. So we we reach out to uh, uh, organizations that are working on. Um, uh, a lot of them are are working on sustainable agriculture. Uh, for example, uh, I mean, we go to uh, conferences and uh, and uh, meetings. Uh, for example, the, um, the Future Harvest Casa conference uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, CASA is, I think, Chesapeake Association for Sustainable Agriculture. Um, we are connected with MOFA, the Maryland Organic uh, Food and Farming Association. Um, so, so you know, we're performing, and then we're also uh, are connected with people at uh, addressing these issues at uh, at uh, Organic Consumers Association. Uh, for example, Alexis Baden Meyer there. Um, so, you know, we're working with uh, organizations and, and farmers and, and uh, citizens as well. So, our uh, part of our mission is is to uh, promote awareness among the general public that uh, soil uh, can be a climate solution. Uh, so it's you know once again that the emission side is very important, but you know soil is kind of uh, the kind of the other the other half of the, the solution. Um, and so you know we we give we we we'll, um, organize conferences, we um, organize events where we invite the public uh, and and we talk about you know, give an overview of uh, of what's involved, what the potential is, um, what we can do to help. Um, and then we also uh, have uh, talked to, to farmers. So we um, uh, you know, reach out to farmers and uh, invite them to our events. And, then, and we also, uh, we've given talks to, to farmers to give an overview of uh, um, what's involved in this kind of regenerative agriculture and what the what the other benefits are so uh it's it, you know obviously so one benefit to increasing carbon in their soil is the climate benefit but there are also um a lot of uh, co-benefits uh which uh by themselves are motivation enough um uh often because uh for example if whenever you increase the um Amount of carbon in your soil, uh, you you are increasing water holding capacity. So, uh, what happens is the increase in soil carbon creates what are called uh, aggregates, which are kind of so so healthy soil which is high in soil carbon, kind of looks a little like cottage cheese. So you have these you know aggregate pieces of soil that are kind of stuck together, and in between them. You have space for air and water to get through. Uh, so the more uh, soil carbon you have, the more soil organic matter you have, the the more water holding capacity your soil has. So it's um, so for every uh, at the risk of getting a little technical, uh, for every increase of one percent in soil organic matter, uh, your land your your soil can hold. An additional roughly uh, twenty thousand gallons of water per acre, and so that's really important uh, because we're all seeing uh, changes in climate. We're seeing you know increased drought in certain areas, and at other times you're you're seeing increased flooding. Um, and so the more water your soil can hold, the more resilient you are to both of those extremes. Um, and uh, you know so there are you know farmers. Uh, are maybe are not always convinced about the the reasons behind climate change, but but they're definitely seeing uh, climate change. They're they're seeing these changes in in uh, weather and um, uh, rain patterns, and so it, it definitely makes sense to be uh, more resilient uh, to those and increasing 
the organic matter in your soil is a way to do that. And uh, and it also, a lot of these practices require, uh, I mean, getting away from chemical uh, fertilizers and pesticides because the the fertilizers, uh, they they feed the soil. I'm, I'm sorry, they feed the plants, but they, they, they don't feed the soil. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of give a signal to plants that they don't, I mean, they're getting these nutrients from for free from above, so they don't have to kind of participate in this symbiotic relationship as much um, with the soil microbes to get those nutrients from the microbes. And so that, that leads to a decay in the microbial life of the soil and makes the plants more dependent uh, on the fertilizer as a um, as almost like a drug kind of. So it kind of goes away from uh, building soil fertility. It kind of reduces soil fertility. Um, and so, uh, I mean, that's the reason why um, we don't want to we want to get away from chemical fertilizers, but at the same time, that's, you know, the less chemical fertilizer you use, that's, that lowers your cost, your input costs. So that's an economic benefit. If you can, if you can get fertility um, from natural sources, uh, and that, that's going to reduce your input cost. And, and so um, that's going to benefit you economically, um, you know, as long as you can, you know, still have uh, a comparable, comparable production to, to what you were having before. Right. Now we, we touched upon people, um, folks in the agricultural business and farmers, but what about the everyday individual, you know, people like you and I, what, what actions can we take or how can individuals get involved to be a part of this climate solution? Uh, what are some other suggestions? What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, uh, so one thing is to, to uh, in terms of what we consume, so we can uh, uh, find out, you know, local farms that are engaged in these practices and get, get as, as much um, food for, as we can from them uh, in terms of the food that we um, consume on a daily basis. So, so for example, uh, uh, you know, getting food from farms that are, that are engaged in these practices uh, and, and, and that are um, engaged in sustainable practices uh, in general you know, moving away from uh, chemical fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. And uh, I didn't say anything about uh, grazing, but uh, so uh, now there, there's a certain type of grazing called uh, holistic plan grazing or kind of associated or closely associated. It's also, you could also, um, there's another method called mob intensive grazing. But uh, so basically you get maximum kind of grass production if you're if you're raising uh, cattle or other herbivores on um, on grass, you get maximum grass production when you divide your uh, grassland into into paddocks, and you intensely graze a paddock, and then you move on to the next paddock, and then you you give uh, a given paddock enough time to rest uh, before you come back to um, to graze it again, and so this. Um, actually leads to maximum grass growth. I mean, even beyond not grazing at all. So, so cows, cattle, and, and other herbivores act as kind of pruners, and they stimulate grass growth. But you have to give the grass enough time to recover uh, to to get through that maximum growth phase uh, to um, before you come back. And this leads to maximum grass growth and and maximum carbon sequestration. 
and this has been very effective in regenerating lands that have been kind of destroyed by uh, um, chemical farming and, and uh, a lot of tillage, uh, um, you know, building up organic matter. So it's been very effective. And so uh, now for those who do eat meat, uh, we recommend uh, looking for and buying 100% um, grass-fed meat, uh, so beef and, and other um, grass-fed meat. Uh, you know, for those who do eat meat, and and um, so that's that's another in terms of consumption, what what people can do, um, and uh, another uh, area that we're involved with, and, and that that uh, uh, people can get involved with is uh, through legislation. So uh, it was actually so recently it was actually passed in in the state of Maryland, the Maryland Healthy Soils Act. Uh, so that was uh, an act that um, encourages uh, these uh, type of regenerative agricultural practices to so cover crops and other um, uh, practices that, that, that um, increase soil organic matter. And uh, so it actually just passed in this legislative session in, in Annapolis, both the House and Senate. And so we're waiting for Governor Hogan to, uh, to, uh, to sign that into, into law. But so that's an example of uh, things that people can do on the kind of legislative and policy uh, side. So, you know, in terms of consumption um, uh, legislation. And then also, you know, to get involved and to, to learn about it and to do what they we can do in our own backyards. So um, there are a lot of things, you know, we can, you can, you can start your own garden or maybe a community garden. Um, you can learn about these processes or these practices firsthand about uh, growing, um, you know, what's involved in growing healthy food and providing for your own, um, maybe a little bit for your own family and your own community um, and uh, learning about the process firsthand that way. And, um, and also, you know, learning about the processes of, of soil health and improving your soil health and improving the, the organic matter in your soil. And then also, uh, you know, aside from the food uh, aspect, there's uh, you can also build uh, rain gardens and deep-rooted uh, plants that, that you know once again sequester um, a high amount of carbon. So the, the more deep-rooted your plant, the, the more carbon it's uh, it's uh, um, uh, sequestering in in the soil in general. Uh, and it also absorbs more water the more um, deep-rooted um, your your plant is, um, and you know so so you can you can build a rain garden or on part of your of your own yard or or on all of your own yard. And one um, really kind of uh, for those who don't want to or are not ready to go you know quite so far from you know away from lawns uh, on their own lawn. Or for for parts of their lawn that um, that, that they they have to use as as a lawn for um, for various reasons, uh, there are certain deep suit, deep uh, rooted grasses that you can plant. Uh, so one of them is uh, called Pearl's Premium, um, and so it the roots of that go 12 to 14 inches deep rather than the usual two to three inches for regular grass. Oh. So it sequesters you know four times as much grass as as regular grass, four times as much carbon as regular grass. 
And an additional benefit is that it doesn't need to be mowed very often. So it's a very slow-growing grass. It was developed for that purpose. Um, so you only need to mow it once every four to six weeks in the summer. Um, and uh, so once you kind of get it installed, uh, you know, you have to, I think, m uh, water it every day for 30 days. But once it, it gets installed, it kind of it's supposed to outcompete um, uh, whatever grass you already have there because the roots go down so so much further deep. And so you have a, a, a low maintenance, low maintenance uh, um, high carbon sequestering grass there. Um, so that's, you know, that's uh, another um, way people can go, you know, in terms of their own yards. Right. Now, when you're sharing all these ideas, which are great ideas, by the way, what are some of the things that you've done, um, you know, in terms of your own home and consumption and all that to support and to be really actively involved in taking part in this, uh, this the, the overall solution yourself? Uh, yeah, so I have, um, so I've started, well, I have been kind of composting for a while uh, uh, in my own backyard, although I haven't started, uh, you know, growing any vegetables yet. Um, and I am planning to, I haven't actually installed the, the Pearls Premium uh, or, or lawn, you know, a long, uh, you know, high carbon sequestering lawn seed yet, but I'm I'm planning to do that uh, this uh, uh, this spring, uh, so that I should be I'm planning to get to doing that soon. Um, and we also um, we actually just had solar panels installed on our house, so you know this that's from on the emission side, um, uh, but. Uh, uh, yeah, so we finally were able to do that. Um, but yeah, once again, that's on the emission side rather than on the uh, the uh, um, you know soil side. But uh, yeah, in terms of uh, you know personal habits, I've I've been um, uh, looking uh, to buy most, if not all, of what I buy as organic. Uh, you know. Tr you know, as one step towards regenerative. So getting away from the, uh, um, you know, chemicals, uh, fertilizers and, and pesticides as, as much as possible. That's great. Well, you know, I just put in my garden for the spring, uh, for this, for this uh, season, and I would love uh -huh. to learn you know, tips on how to basically uh, do a better job in my own garden, my own backyard to help this process out. So looking forward to that. Now tell us about this yeah. conference, because I know that there's a conference that's going to be taking place at the end of this month, um, hosted by, by the uh, Biodiversity for a Livable Climate, BLC. And I believe it's going to be on April 30th in Washington, D.C. Can you talk a little bit more about the conference itself, uh, what's on the agenda, um, you know, the types of people that show up, and what are people going to get out of attending? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's going to be April 30th, uh, Sunday, April 30th, um, in D.C., near DuPont Circle. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be the day after the People's Climate March on, on the 29th. How perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so we... we, um, we uh, Kind of uh, were, you know, planned it to, uh, to 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 kind of coincide, you know, be the day after. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be. So we call it a scenario 300. 
and the reason for that is that uh, we're trying to provide kind of a show people how we can get from the current four, 406 parts per million of uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere atmosphere uh, down to uh, 300 parts per million, which would be roughly what we would need to uh, get to a stable climate. So this would be using, uh, you know, regenerative agriculture, but also eco-restoration. So it, it's, um, I, I guess, m most of what I've talked about so, so far is regenerative agriculture, but but eco-restoration is also a very important part. Uh, so restoring and, and rebuilding forests, uh, wetlands, just basically in general, uh, uh, you know, increasing the amount of uh, healthy vegetation uh, and, and plant life growing on, on all uh, land, um, so which would sequester carbon, but also store store water, which is very important on land. Uh, so, so yeah, we're going to have um, uh, Chris, Dr. Christine Nichols um, is going to be, uh, she's the chief scientist at the Rodale Institute, uh, which is uh, an institute in Pennsylvania, which focuses on organic agriculture research, uh, and it's uh, you know it's it's a well-respected uh, organization that's that's done uh, research uh, for 60 to 70 years, and they've been doing side-by-side uh, -side trials of conventional and organic um, agriculture, uh, showing the you know the comparison um, between them, uh, and so they've done a lot of great research, and so uh, so she's Chris, Dr. Chris Nichols is going to talk about uh, how um, you know, holistic regenerative farming uh, can be a key part of getting down to 300 parts per million. And uh, Jim Laurie, uh, he's our kind of a bi biodiversity for livable climate, kind of a, he's a re our resident uh, biologist. He's going to be talking about, uh, you know, give an overview of, of all the various parts or kind of ecosystems and techniques and practices that will play a part in in getting down to 300 parts per million, and you know what the potential of each is, and what we need to do for each. So he'll give a good overview of how we get to 300, and uh, and then later on in the, in the um, after those two um, initial talks uh, or discussions, we're going to have uh, panels on um, agriculture and land management, uh, wetlands. Ecosystems and water use, uh, and forests and permaculture, and then uh, we're going to have one final panel at uh, near the end of the day on what we can do, um, you know, as individuals and community members, you know, what the various things we can do to accelerate adoption of, of the practices that we need to to get to you know 300 parts per million uh, in terms of. Uh, creating resilient and healthy communities and ecosystems and, and a stable climate. So, so this will talk about uh, practices we can do in our backyard, in our communities, uh, but also through um, political and and other advocacy. And then we'll we'll conclude with uh, um, Elizabeth Kucinich, also of the Rodale Institute, who's going to um, give an overview of uh, policies and actions all around the world that are already moving us towards forward uh, in terms of uh, soil, the soil and ecosystems solution or, or part of the solution to, to climate change. 
Wow, that's a big lineup. Well, how, how can our audience actually learn more about the conference, uh, take a look at the agenda and the location, the venue, the times, everything? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so they can go to our um, website, uh, uh, bioforclimate.org. So that's uh, 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 B-I-O and then the letter uh, or the number for and then climate. Uh, dot org, uh, C-L-I-M-A-T-E dot org. And they can, they can go under um, uh, conferences and, uh, and, and they can click on uh, Scenario 300 or they can, they can go to our website, bio4climate.org slash uh, Scenario dash 300. Great. Um, so that's uh, that's wonderful. Well, I really uh, wish you the best um, of you know that day. I know it's going to be a lot of uh, people interested in learning so much about uh, what they can do uh, to be a part of this. It's a it's a big big initiative. It's a global initiative that all of us have to be uh, knowledgeable about and aware of our impact and in terms of what we're consuming, uh, what we're doing, um, what we're intentionally and unintentionally doing (laughs) to be a positive Mm -hmm. part of the solution or the opposite. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a very good thing that the general public can have access to. Um, Are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience about just getting more involved? You know, sometimes when we're individuals out there and we have so much going on in our own lives and Many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or business owners running small to mid-sized companies, and you feel sometimes that there's just so much you know, in the day that you can do and so many responsibilities. But something like this is a collective responsibility for all citizens of the world. Um, you know, what are some ways in which you can kind of send us off into the world with some inspiration about how to make time for that or how to commit to being a part of uh, the solution? I think this is this is an you know it's an opportunity you know rather than um, so a lot of the kind of talk about climate change or, or at least uh, previously was kind of uh, you know gloom and doom you know if we don't do everything right you know things are going to be really bad um, but, but this I think provides a source of hope because not, not only can we stop the increase in Carbon, you know, in the atmosphere, we can actually br- draw it down, uh, where it can it can actually have benefits. So, um, so I think this provides an opportunity and and hope rather than a kind of a, a kind of obligation. Yeah, I think th- this is this provides a uh, a kind of a new uh, avenue to explore. Um, and you know, feel free to reach out to to us and, and our partner organizations. Uh, um, uh, you know, for example, um, Organic Consumers Association and, and working with them or as a branch of them is the uh, is Regeneration International, which is doing fantastic work uh, on encouraging these uh, and increasing awareness and encouraging these practices. Um, they can, you know, reach out and, and uh, you know, get more concrete examples of, of what they can do. Um, and, you know, if they, if they own businesses, maybe they can they can partner with in projects. Uh, for example, um, there's an there's an organization called Trees for the Future that uh, that uh, plants trees in, in Africa that are uh, geared towards uh, helping farmers there uh, uh, build 
their soil carbon, um, you know, have beneficial purposes for their their soil, and also sometimes uh, uh, are um, fruit producing trees. Um, and so a lot of their funding comes from companies that are trying to re reduce their carbon footprint. So um, so companies can can partner with organizations like Trees for the Future to um, uh, have a, an ecological benefit, you know, sequester carbon um, uh, and, and support uh, uh, these efforts to to help farmers uh, diversify their income and increase their soil uh, quality. That's fantastic. Well, I love what you said about really looking at this as an opportunity and keeping uh, more of an optimistic outlook on what we can do um, in our on this earth, you know, to make our lives better, to make the environment better, to kind of in in some cases even reverse some of the things that we are quote unquote so scared about from what we're learning, um, that what's going on in, you know, in all over the the world um on this planet. So I think it is an optimistic perspective to take. I think that with being around people at this conference might also kind of bring up that positive energy about what can be done because there are definitely technology tools and uh amazing scientists and experts who are working on this um, as their passion and to really make it something that all of us can benefit from. So thank you for bringing that to our community and you know making us more aware of the possibilities and what's out there, Sudhir. I really appreciate that. Yes. So I think it's, it's very important to um, uh, you know, stay positive and uh, connect with other people who are, who are working on this. So often we might feel like uh, you don't know what to do, and you might hear about what some other people are doing, and you know they might you might think, well, they're doing so much more than I am. But you know, there there are people. Everyone has something to contribute, and um, you know, for example, you're you're growing your own. Um, you have your own garden. I don't have my garden yet, so I, I have something that I can learn from you. Um, so you know, everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has. Uh, um, you know, we can all learn from each other. Uh, you know, motivate each other. Um, and kind of help each other towards uh, becoming, uh, you know, having more impact on, on the solution and, you know, seeing how we can have an impact and, you know, kind of joining in each other's uh, efforts and projects. And, you know, I think it's, it's important to, to stay positive and have an open mind and, and see, uh, you know, be open to learning and, and seeing what we can do. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, one, one of my mentors, Dave Finnegan, who, started the climate change elementary project it was uh, i mean was saying that we need to you know get away from the thinking that you know if we do everything having having the mindset well if we do everything right think of how good things will be um and so having that positive outlook having a kind of a positive view of what the future you know what a you know what he calls it you know clean green future can be um so having that kind of vision uh, or, or trying to work towards developing that vision and working towards that. Well, you've, you've definitely come to the right place and the right community. I thank you so much again for your time. We're all about hope and optimism and really taking uh, what we know and gathering knowledge and sharing knowledge so we can all collectively as a community uh, make some good things happen in the world. So again, I appreciate your time bringing all these great insights to me and our audience. Really appreciate that. And for our listeners out there, please make sure that you go to the website, attend the conference. There's so much information that's 
available to us. We just have to show up. So enjoy it. It's on April 30th. And um, I look forward to learning more and staying in touch with you as things go and would love to have you back to share kind of what's happening in the world of climate change and climate solutions. Uh, so again, we hope to um, have you back. But for those listening, thank you so much for always being part of our SOAR community network. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoy today's information and we look forward to seeing you or speaking to you very, very soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.